Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-host, Anastasia. Since Lavendar retired from doing sessions, she's been able to write more new information for her vault of knowledge, and tonight we're presenting some of her newest writings. The topics include genius markings, the women of the ethers, and the free will predestination programs on the planet. Lavendar's material was recorded in my studio and will be read by me. You can find much more from Lavendar in the Vault of Knowledge on our website, which is starseedhotline.com. Our next Starseed Quest to Arkansas is on Pleiadian lineup May 17th through the 20th. We have two spots still available, so write to crystals at starseedhotline.com for more details or to see if you're eligible to join us based on your chart. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest and hope to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. If you are an astrologer and are ready to learn advanced starseed astrology, please email me, ariel, at starseedhotline.com. Lavendar and I are gathering a small group of qualified people to teach the Starseed Codes. Our main website, as I said, is starseedhotline.com, and we offer the Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session. We also have a new daily transit service to help you navigate your life and mission with greater success, even if you know little or nothing about astrology. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you'll get a window of 10 hours of power. And you can find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. Uh, A week or two before your birthday would be enough just to get the timing. But if you want a reading of that chart, you'll need to order it about two months before your birthday. So, first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here tonight. Hi there. Well, we're moving into an early spring, not only to Groundhog, you know, not see a shadow, but, um, I mean, it is warm where I am, and I think that it's just unusually, unseasonably turning to spring, and I'm liking it. Me it's too. Nice. I, saw my, first I saw my first daffodil. I saw my first daffodil today. About. Yeah, love it. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? So, anyway, I don't feel like it's winter anymore. I'm sure it is somewhere, but it's not here. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it's also soon to be Valentine's Day. Now, before I tell you this little story, I'll just tell you right now. Um, Cupid is aimed for your wallet and everybody's wallet for tomorrow's sale, celebration of Valentine's Day. Uh, they say that people who love Americans are forecast to spend a whopping $14.2 billion on Valentine's Day this year, according to the National Retail Federation. It keeps close tabs on how much money we spend and on what we spend it on. Now, there is a movement, um, uh, 
among the younger group in the United States that are anti-Valentine's Day. <laughs> and some of the stories I've been reading about that, well, um, wow, there are people who are completely against Valentine's Day. They have designed shirts and hats against such a thing, against love, <laughs> against the celebration of, you know, the superficial celebration of such a thing, which one can't hardly blame them, and other <laughs> other assorted unmentionable things that they're doing in, in anti-Valentine's Day ways. So either pro or, uh, again, Valentine's Day, I say you don't have to spend money to let somebody know you love them. In fact, in my family and around my acquaintances, um, every day is Valentine's Day. Every day is a day of love, of love of all kinds, all types of love. So let's remember that. Anyway, oh, by the way, Red Roses, number one thing for Valentine's Day. That is the number one national thing people do is is give red roses. So there you have that. Probably not a surprise to anybody. Well, Sony Music Group has reportedly bought half of the late Michael Jackson's recording and publishing rights. They gave $600 million for that deal. And they say if that gets finalized, the values of the pop artist music catalog will will raise to $1.2 billion, the richest music catalog to date, more than any other. Classic music catalogs are increasingly viewed as safe, long-term assets for investors to be able to withstand economic upheaval. It's like gold. Investors are in recording rights, earn royalties every time, every single time a track is bought or streamed for every single song, while publishing rights holders can license the music for use in film, TV, ads, and more. So there it is. That is a source of revenue many people don't think about. And investors are buying that up. Michael Jackson, the most to date. Well, this is an amazing story. Uh, Honestly, it is the only intact chicken's egg found from Roman Britain. They discovered it's now thought to be the only type of its kind in the entire world. Scientists found it uh, with the liquid inside in the dig, the archaeological dig. The egg is 1,700 years old. It was found in southern England, like I said, during an archaeology dig. Research, researchers said at the time it was a genuinely unique discovery. No one expected to find an egg, not to mention an unbroken egg. Wow. They were blown away to find that it still contained the yolk and the egg white. They did a micro-CT scan that produced 3D images. It revealed the context of the egg, complete with the air sac. Wow. 1,700 years old, everything still in it, unbroken. <laughs> wow. That's, that's just pretty awesome. It really is. I, who knows what science will do with that egg? What in the world they're going to come? I don't know. <laughs> what they're gonna, they will leave it. There. I doubt very much if they'll let it go at that. Well, um, crazy but true. Now, this is something where you really need a photo, and I I apologize ahead of time, but I could not keep quiet about it because I thought maybe some of you might want to Google it. There is a Swedish guy called Gustafsson, Gustafsson, excuse me, Gustafsson, who has created a Volvo automobile out of Lego bricks. And his scale car of one-to-one, full-sized, made of Legos, has a steering wheel, has an interior, has floorboards, has everything, a dash, out of Lego bricks. And uh, <laughs> Volvo has recently shared some photographs of this car, which actually drives. 
at a car expo in Sweden where this Lego car was on display. Now, they tell us that most life-size Lego replicas are static displays. They're never meant to move. Most of them don't have interiors at all, of course. But this Volvo, on the other hand, not only features a full interior, but it has doors that swing open, side mirrors that pivot just like the real thing, as well as active headlights that swivel along with front wheels when the steering wheel turns. The piece de resistance, however, is the fact that this Volvo actually drives thanks to an electric motor and a battery pack. It only can go low speeds, of course, not very fast. But it can start, move and steer, and brake via remote control. The Volvo's only non-Lego parts are the wheels and the tires, the powertrain, and a metal frame. So check that out on the Internet if you want to look at that. It's just unbelievable. I, I'm where they should have told us, the writer, how many thousands of Lego pieces went into this, how long it took him to make it, how much it cost for all those Lego pieces. I mean, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Okay. Well, it has been the Super Bowl week, of course. And while many of our Starseed people might not be too interested in Super Bowl, there's a whole lot of Americans that are. Americans can continue to name football as their favorite sport by a very wide margin. 41% of U.S. adults say football is their favorite sport to watch. Baseball and basketball occasionally tie for a second place at 10 and 9%. That's all. Now, football has been at the top sport since 1972 when it eclipsed baseball. Now, it's a cultural phenomenon about the Super Bowl because there is an amazing reach of Super Bowl advertising. Now, this year's Super Bowl attracted about 113 million viewers. And by the way, it was about $9,000 a seat. But back to the viewers. Uh, 113 million viewers. It made it the second most watched broadcast of all time after the moon landing in 1969. Wow. That's right. That's right. <laughs> there were 70 big-budget commercials interspersed throughout the game. Each advertisement cost about $7 million per 30-second slot. And unlike all other nights when commercials are normally considered to be a hindrance to our enjoyment, millions of people inexplicably love these ads. Most nights, we don't want ads. We do everything we can do to get away from them. But on the Super Bowl, it seems that enormous numbers of Americans really do cherish, not just like, cherish these ads. A recent YouGov survey found that 14% of the viewers considered the commercials their favorite part of the Super Bowl. In fact, the only reason they watch. That may not (laughs) sound like a lot, 14%, but that means that 113 million watched the game, while 121 million watched halftime, and about 17 million watched just for the ads. So we had about 8 million watched for halftime. They wanted to watch the performances. And 17 million watched for the advertisements. And while the performers are big ticket items for halftime, did you know they don't get paid one red cent? They perform for free. Why? To expand their brand, to gain free advertising, if you will. That's right. Halftime show is just another kind of ad. Indeed, Super Bowl ads have become an object of cultural celebration. This reach greatly surpasses most movies and TV shows. Consider the collective hours spent in viewing a single year's Super Bowl commercials. Assuming a base of 120 million viewers watching 
70 advertisements with an average length of 40 seconds per ad, that adds up to nearly 79 million hours of total watch time for this year's commercials. That's 9,056 years worth of human time dedicated to the wonder of Doritos and Mountain Dew. (laughs) And we wonder what is wrong with people. (laughs) And that doesn't even include the ads afterlife on YouTube and other streaming services. Oh, boy. Well, now listen. In a world of ever-multiplying streaming devices and people with their nose in, in screens and watching content and being saturated, uh, few people watch the same thing at the same time. And they say that's what makes the Super Bowl so special because gone are the days when high-profile TV shows uh, used to be a big event like MASH. MASH was aired in 1983. It attracted 106 million views, viewers. And Seinfeld's, 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 excuse me, 1998 finale, which pulled in 76 million viewers on one night. That doesn't usually happen anymore. But the Super Bowl and its commercials generate a level of immediacy unmatched by anything else because everybody's watching at the same time. So, anyway, there it is. What a phenomenon. What an oddity. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Well, I have a st- this is heartwarming. I love this. Let's have a little bit of reality here. Let's get away from modern life for a moment and sort of get back to something that's real. And this is about a former Air Force pilot uh, who's took to the skies in a Spitfire airplane. But he's 102 years old. He's an ex-squadron leader from World War II. He's believed to be the oldest pilot to fly the World War II plane. Of course, he would be. His name's Jack Hemmings. He took a 20-minute flight from an airfield in southern England to raise money for a charity that he co-founded nearly 80 years ago. This veteran, who never flew a Spitfire before, said it was absolutely delightful to be back behind the controls. He said, to be honest, it felt, well, I felt a bit rusty. Not surprising that I'm rusty. He said, I'm 102 years old. (laughs) He was raising funds for Mission Aviation Fellowship a humanitarian air service he helped launch after World War II. This organization has since grown into a group that uses planes to deliver relief uh, products, medicine, and emergency cargo to people in countries that are in need. This is what he did. started Mm. this group. Wow. An awesome human being. Well, you all know, if you've listened to me very long, you know how I feel about plastic. Plastic sacks, plastic this, plastic that. Well, over the years, U.S. cities and states have passed hundreds of policies restricting the sale and distribution of single-use plastic bags, finally. Now, a new report says that these laws have made a significant impact in their goal of reducing plastic bag use. New Jersey's ban alone has eliminated more than 5.5 billion plastic bags annually. One state. Wow. Wow. That's an improvement. That's an improvement. Okay, well, let's talk about matchsticks. We've talked about Legos. <laughs> I don't I don't I wish I had this kind of time, these people. You know, to make a Lego car. And what about a matchstick Eiffel Tower? How long? I'm gonna tell you how long. A guy, a man, was awarded finally at long last the Guinness World Record for creating the tallest structure using matchsticks. After his Eiffel Tower replica 
was initially rejected. They turned him down. Well, anyway, the story goes that Richard from France said he had been on an emotional roller coaster after spending 4,200 hours building the Eiffel Tower for more than 706,000 matches and buckets of glue. He said, for eight years, I've always thought that I was building the tallest matchstick structure on Earth. However, Guinness World Records back then told him that his 24-foot structure did not qualify because he hadn't used matches that were commercially available. What? Well, happily, Guinness World Records changed their minds, saying that the original decision was a bit too harsh. And so they gave him the award. He got the world record for the world's tallest matchstick uh, structure. Again, 24 feet, 4,200 hours, and 706,000 matches. With goodness knows how much buckets of glue. Wow. All right. Well, there there it is. Uh, Richard from France did that. Uh, wow. Oh, and by the way, the twenty four the twenty twenty four Olympic medals, the Paris medals, are going to be embedded with actual pieces of the Eiffel Tower. By the way. Whoa. So. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> Europe's deepest mine is going to become a giant battery. Listen to this. An abandoned mine in Finland is set to be transformed into a giant battery to store renewable energy during periods of excess production. The mine is north of Helsinki. It's Europe's deepest zinc and copper mine, and it holds enormous potential to store energy within its 1,400-meter deep shafts. The unused mine will be fitted with a gravity battery which uses excess energy from renewable sources like solar and wind in order to lift a heavy weight. As we know, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So during these periods, the weight is released and the energy that produces it uh, uses, uh, excuse me, powers a turbine as it drops down the shaft. Friction. The gravity battery system has been developed by a Scottish firm it plans to use the mine as a full-scale prototype to demonstrate the technology. Say so it's going to be very good news if it proves to be commercially viable, as a study last year uh, estimated that gravity batteries in abandoned underground mines could store up to 70 uh, terawatts of energy, enough to meet all of our global electricity demands. Using abandoned mines as batteries. Oh, wow. wow. That's really, that's ter- terrific. Let's hope that works. If it's safe, if it's good for the environment, that's just wonderful. And our last story for tonight um, is about uh, a hiker. I'm sorry, I beg, I beg your pardon. It's about Christian Bale. I want to talk to you about Christian Bale. This is a wonderful story. You might have heard it. It may have been on, on mainstream news. But Christian Bale has recently celebrated a, mi- a milestone as he broke ground on a project that he says is close to his heart, uh, a vision that took 16 years to come to fruition. It's an endeavor that's aimed at fostering a sense of belonging and a family unity because uh, it involves the construction of 12 houses uh, and a vibrant community center in Los Angeles County. Um, Now, Bale is from California, and he became involved with this project when he learned that there's a staggering number of foster children... um, 
siblings, brothers and sisters, that get separated when they're adopted out. And it bothered him a great deal, and he said he was, wanted to make a difference. So he began to research uh, alternatives. Um, he got involved with children and family services and agencies of the state, different states. Um, he enlisted the expertise of experts, uh, uh, architects and donors and everything you could find. And this teamwork uh, originated something called Together California, uh, which is a group that intends to keep adopted children or foster children together. Um, they need their own homes. They need a place to be. They're going to create a village for that. He said, with our Together California model, this village is something absolutely new. It's completely transformative. We really need it. Imagine the absolute pain and trauma of losing your parents, being torn from your parents, and then losing your brothers and sisters on top of that. He said, this is no way to treat children. He said, we will be the hub for that. I hope this village will be the first of many, and I hope that people in California will come and join us to open our eyes to what's happening right under our noses. These are our children, and we must help our children. So somebody who saw a need to help kids um, uh, to build this community of 12 homes so that uh, foster parents can house larger families, not, not separating the children out and putting them in different homes. And uh, they say this is just the first of uh, even a greater effort. Perhaps this could go nationwide um, to be mindful of things in our system that in many ways uh, do more harm than help. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. We don't often think about things like that. Um, it's out of the scope of our everyday life. I, I so admire the people in their careers who oh, who reach out to help people in need or who are deal with these kinds of problems in our society. They spend their lives working on that social workers and therapists and such who um, are part of this every day of their lives dealing with these kinds of problems. And then an individual such as um, Christian Bale who saw something and did something about it. And so you know, we need to restructure our society on all levels. And I, as I do the news for the show here tonight, I, I find just how much work really is being done on all levels our society and what that means is there's room for each one of us to do something on a level that we can relate to oh each one of us is amazing and there's amazing things that we can do to make make a beautiful difference it's a great time to be alive it really is so from my heart to each one of you have a beautiful couple of weeks everybody and i'll see you next time thank you ariel so much okay well thank you anastasia i appreciate appreciate you in two weeks i really do you bet bye-bye okay bye-bye Well, it's really nice when people who are celebrities, they use that in a very constructive way to pay it forward and help others. That's wonderful. So now we have our presentation of Lavendar's material, which I will be reading. And um, when we come back uh, in in two weeks, uh, we may have some more ready for you. So, without further ado, this is new from Lavendar's Vault. Subject, Markings of Genius I've discovered an intriguing aspect that may very well be the mark of genius, which can be tracked from birth to death by observing planetary movement of the stars. 
I know that I've not found the whole code to this, but I feel that I have perhaps been given this astrological piece so that when the time arrives, I will be able to share it with others who perhaps have the other pieces to this cosmic puzzle of how genius manifests through evolution. To start the tracking of this formula, I have to go back to when I first became part of this experiment, which I will call the Tesla Kids. To call it any other name would be foolish. To set the stage, I was living in an A-frame cabin in Cripple Creek, Colorado, which sits right over a gold crystal ley line. Cripple Creek is noted for its gold and silver mines. Later, I was to find out that every known gem and mineral on the planet is somehow placed there. It seems that millions of years ago, a huge meteor came from space and created a gigantic hole. Then, years later, a volcano somehow manifested and through it came every aspect of minerals to be deposited upon the earth. The town of Cripple Creek sits right in the middle of the volcano. As of 1980, only about 900 people lived there, including the famous astrologer, Linda Goodman, whom I visited often. The reason for my moving to this particular spot seemed to be directed by forces other than myself. I say this because of all the unusual activity that seemed to happen as a result. I was to place myself in an environment that was conducive to sending and receiving messages of a galactic nature. I was in actual contact with extraterrestrial beings who were on a spaceship, which is known by many as the Star of Bethlehem, and mainly because of its participation in the birth of Christ, it is called that now. However, another time frame refers to it as TX-11, which resonates to harmonics in its name to register in the minds of those that are connected to evolutionary programs. I only mention this because of the increase of activation that is obvious to me concerning 1111, 1212, 222, 333, 444, and an entire planet. Different ones at different intersections of time have brought forth pieces to the puzzle relating to these numbers. Even in the recent Bible Code has shed light on these numbers, which really shines a new light on computer programming done by the gods. The reason I'm mentioning all of this is because this is the basis for the tracking that I have done in the last 19 years concerning the 12 time zones. These same 12 time zones also have a corresponding energy to astrological placements. Each astrological sign, 1 through 12, has celestial implications. Some have been passed down through the ages with not-so-factual information, and others have been picked up by those enlightened beings that have a strong lineage or codings to match the 12 time zones. 
experiments were put in motion that would match a 12 time zone cycle, each cycle having a time period of 26,000 years attached to each. This became a grand experiment which has been monitored from the very beginning aboard the Star of Bethlehem, or TX-11. Anyway, I became a cosmic telegraph operator, and my sending and receiving station was located at an elevation of 9,740 feet in the air. I could look out my A-framed window and see the top of Pike's Peak, as I was only seven miles away as the crow flies. It took some getting used to being in this high elevation. The oxygen was thinner and sitting on top of crystal gold frequencies seemed to affect my nervous system in ways that would require me leaving the cabin at least once every three weeks. It would be at that time that I would fly either to the island of Aruba or spend time in another home in Santa Fe, Flagstaff, Catalina, or be traveling on some galactic assignment. I lived an exciting life, although it bordered on the unusual, with a slight tinge of balancing my brain and mind so that I would not be subjected to others' judgments about whether I was sane or not. This, however, did happen to me over these past 19 years anyway. No way escaping that one. It was difficult for me to convey to many people who I was or what my assignment was during these years. I have but a handful of people who still speak to me after all this time, and they are the true friends of my adventures. Now let's begin the tracking of genius. There's always a moment in time when a big oh yeah hits a person, and then the lights start coming on. That is what happened to me on my drive from Tampa, Florida to Sarasota on February 16, 1980. This was an eclipse that was astrologically represented as 26 Aquarius. I didn't know it then, but this would release the activation for the next 19 years of tracking galactic astrological timings. It was a window that opened in the 12 time zone calendar that was activated or let loose on the planet, key ingredients that would propel the people and the planet into an age of extraterrestrial technology, an experiment, if you will, that would be closely monitored and checks and balances would be made, especially to the souls that had incarnated from the times of Atlantis, including its destruction and the lineage that would travel to the four corners of the earth. This activation also included sacred power sites like the Great Pyramid, the Mayan temples, Peru, Easter Island, and many, many other power points on the earth. A power grid of 33 sacred gem power points were established, and a caretaker or watcher or guardian, custodian, whatever you'd call it, was and is stationed at all of these places around the earth. Nothing has changed with that assignment. All is still in motion, as it was from the very beginning of these experiments. I've been privileged in this lifetime to have met several of these star-seeded individuals that have been placed in these sacred sites. I have also met some of the watchers who watch the guardians as everything is recorded from these places. 
nothing escapes the tracking of evolutionary planning which matches the 12 time zone experiments. Back to February 16, 1980, as I was driving my yellow Lincoln convertible down the road, I seemed to be placed in some kind of split consciousness, and I reached for the radio to turn it on, and it was already on, but the volume wasn't up yet. That's when I heard this lady speaking about the February 16th eclipse, and all of a sudden I was transported somewhere, and believe me when I tell you, I still don't have a clue where, even after all this time. I never took the time to find out where I went and what happened to me in this missing time event. But after I returned, 45 minutes had passed, and all of a sudden I knew that Mount St. Helens was going to erupt. I also had the feeling that I was hooked up to some kind of device that would keep me informed of earthquakes and volcanic seismographic activity. This would happen for three years of my life. This would be part of an experiment that I would call faulty, as it never served others or me to any great benefit. It only created in others and me a sense of fear of massive destructive patterns, whether it's through weather patterns, earthquakes, volcanoes, or some unexplainable earth happening. I did not enjoy this monitoring device, and after three years of pleading, it was taken out of my system and no longer required for my stay. To be a human Geiger counter and to pick up on inside earth movement along with weather movement was a distraction to me, and I was finally relieved of that duty. There was a man named Waverly Person at the Colorado Seismograph office that would confirm for me when an earthquake happened. Sometimes when I called him in advance, it would spook him, so I had to figure out a way to call him and not have him peg me as a psychic trying to establish a predictive record. I had a running conversation with him over a six-month period, and then I decided that it was too risky to continue the relationship. I am mentioning this as to have some indication of how many implants I had running simultaneously in my body, implants of advanced technology that could monitor my every thought, movement, and motion. This assignment would prove that this was not for the faint of heart. In fact, at times I wondered if it was designed to make me look stupid and dysfunctional, because that's what I became at times and had to have someone, a close friend, to help guide me through earth matters. There were so many people that felt sorry for me and pitied me, thinking I was mentally imbalanced. Even my parents thought this for their whole lives, the heartbreak of my life. But in fact, I was not crazy. Maybe a little chemically imbalanced, but with ET's proper guidance, my neuron transmitters would be attuned and off I would go on some galactic assignment, sometimes with millions of souls hanging in the balance. Once I understood who and what were connected to these assignments, I considered every action before taking it, knowing that my choices would be felt on a global scale. I'm not trying to blow my self-importance off the scale. I'm just writing this so that others, 
either like myself or for the future children that come, have some understanding of how evolution is put in motion and monitored, recorded, and information assembled concerning different species on the planet. There are indicators of certain people on the planet that have the markings of starseed, walk-ins, and lightworkers. These are three distinct groups that all have the markings of evolutionary planning. At first, I seemed to be resistant to my new technology placed in my body. I didn't always act and play with a full deck, you might say, in the beginning stages. My own rebellious nature did not like or care for any authority trying to tell me what to do. So I was tricked by the best of them to put me in situations with people in order to let me display my monitoring abilities, but somehow kept it hidden from me at the time if necessary. It wasn't until much later that I stopped resisting and decided to become an equal partner with the experiments conducted by extraterrestrials. In 1982, I was still living in Cripple Creek, Colorado. It was during this time that I was given some assignments from the Star of Bethlehem. If you were to view this starship in the third dimension, it would be 27 miles long, 7 miles across, and 3.5 miles high. It's almost the same shape as the island of Aruba. Later, in my travels to Aruba, it became more clear to me that the size of the ship and the terrain of Aruba would match perfectly in size. The ship also houses 33 different species of galactic intent. This is where a lot of starseed reside before they decide to be born on the planet. Also, it's from here that most walk-out and walk-in experiments are conducted. A lot of celestial beings have made it their sole mission to be part of a gigantic experiment concerning the evolution of the planet and its people. In doing so, a plan was put in motion which would include bloodlines with galactic DNA, astrological timing, and cosmic bank account configurations, thus revealing the masterships acquired from other lifetimes. The bloodlines would be monitored and at times certain strains of DNA would be added to them in order to keep some of the experiments pure from start to finish. When considering coming back to the planet, one would go to the genetic engineers and ask for computations that would involve bloodlines, timing, and advanced soulmate recognition. After rereading this about the Star of Bethlehem conducting experiments from the ship to the star seeds on the planet, I was reminded of how some of the experiments with bloodlines are transferred from sky to earth. Now, look through my eyes as I describe a scene aboard the Star of Bethlehem. After death, the soul leaves the body. Many choices occur within the soul unit. Some would say that not everyone has choices, and that may be true as some experiments have definite guidelines as to who takes a body within three days and who doesn't. About 95% of the people on the planet reincarnate back in body within three days. That's one reason that people wait three days before cremation or burial. 
The other 5% of the people are starseeds that are on a predestination program, meaning that they have starseed assignments that are connected to galactic programming that will be sent, tracked, and guided by certain activations, whether it be through astrological timing, karmic bloodlines, or a combination of both. These two programs, free will and predestination, will run simultaneously. And here's some more information about these two programs. Free will has to do with third dimension reality, a swinging door of karma fulfilling the actions and reactions of those on the wheel of karma, recycling lifetime after lifetime, always seemingly with a continuous self-made prison of cause and effect, whether it be with people, plants, animals, or planet Earth herself, all is recorded in this fashion. Now for the predestination program. When galactic beings decide to evolve a planet and its inhabitants, then a series of bloodline experiments are created and tracked by astrological timing. This is the way of the genetic engineer scientists aboard the Star of Bethlehem. However, this formula is also practiced by other species aboard other spacecraft. For now, I will speak mainly about the Pleiadian experiments. After that explanation, let's go back to looking through my eyes as you listen. See yourself aboard ship, sitting in a space with other beings like yourself. You all seem to be knowing one another, and you take your time merging with different soulmates, as you have had many. Some of you thought this was your twin flame, but came to know the truth about that misdirected communication of untruthfulness. At times, this became a harsh reality, and many were dismayed to find out that their metaphysical teachers had tricked them into this nonsense. After this new reality about soulmates takes a back seat in conversation, then other starseed assignments and programs are revealed. Tracking the souls through incarnations mainly has to do with the bloodlines that they have chosen. Remember, each person chooses their mother, and sometimes whole family lineage gets in the reincarnation cycle. But the mother is the one who passes on the bloodline as she is the creator of the physical body, which houses all essential programs, whether it be tracked on mental, emotional, spiritual, or galactic realms. It is the female who passes on the blueprint of free will or predestination, depending on the soul's choice. There are still a lot of starseeds that actually play with both programs, which is one reason so many starseeds burn out, become homeless, or become so dysfunctional that they become shunned by society. With free will, then just about everything or anything plays. But with predestination, there's a blueprint which, when followed, can and will lift the soul into more responsible action concerning the balancing procedures and with very little free will. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, free will my ass. I couldn't agree more as I have found through the years that I don't really have much free will. So back to you sitting with other beings aboard a ship. 
when the genetic scientists bring forth a particular bloodline, then the souls in participation with that bloodline will come together with others that have had experiences through that bloodline. So there you are looking around to see if you are in the presence of others of like kind. It is soon revealed to you that you are now surrounded by others you have known before, those that you lived, loved, and died with. A lot of discussions happen at this level, and soon you realize that you are in the company of many starseed families. Needless to say that a lot of transmutation takes place within your soul as you become more aware of your surroundings, especially those with whom you have had countless lifetimes. This is where you get to review and not judge. If you judge or go into polarity at any level, then you're not allowed to continue at that level. Judgment, based on polarity, is bound with the free will choice, and that may be the time and place to go back to earth and reincarnate and repeat the cycle. Not everyone can give up the polarity dance of right or wrong black or white, rich or poor, and so on. You may choose predestination and find the mother who will bring you in with the bloodline and astrological timing, but if you get caught in the free will program because others around you are playing that tune, then it may be some time before you're able to break free of the polarity dance. But remember, upon birth, your blueprint of predestination is intact. So every solar return, your true birthday, you are able to reset your destiny and divine purpose that you agreed upon before coming to planet Earth. In those 10 hours of power, you can revisit your blueprint and manifest a different outcome regarding your destiny on the planet. You may have given yourself a lot of clues before you were born, like activating your masterships, whether it be art, music, dance, healing, etc. Developing your natural state so that you can bring your masterships front and center. This sometimes helps to activate others just by this knowingness of how masters meeting masters can jumpstart a new reality. The next subject is Women of the Ethers. One of the assignments of the 96 goddesses was the circling of power within the designated circle of the Women of the Ethers. These souls are dedicated to the completion of the Athena hoop and the 96 bloodlines of intended events. Each one of the bloodlines holds goddess and starseed codes that are to be activated at certain times through astrological timing. This also includes the walk-in programs that are now allowed to flourish all over the planet. The activation of 2012 and 2017 through astrological timing has now blanketed the planet with souls dedicated to these 96 bloodlines. Those in participation of bloodlines through the last several thousand years, ever since Atlantis, have within them the bloodline codes from several species. The mixing and matching of bloodlines has been and is ever-present, even unto this day of your counting. Now to give some insight of how the women of the ethers work from other realms. 
Take, for instance, a group of bloodlines of the 96, having soul maturity records and astrological timing, coming together in unison of purpose. This could be through any chosen genius attribute, like art, music, science, etc. Because of the events that are to take place in the next 19 years, these women of the ethers are now extremely busy empowering a lot of predestined programs on the planet. They also have rites of passage to cancel some of the programs that no longer serve the people or the planet. There are trained bloodlines that have the ability to put governors on certain individuals that could harm the people or the planet. These beings are playing a double agent role in order to keep all balancing procedures on time. When one of these 96 bloodlines leaves the body, they are given choices of how they want to continue their evolution. They can jump back in body within three days, go aboard a spacecraft and work from there, or join the women of the ethers to empower or cancel projects on the planet. Even some that are still in a physical body can join for short periods of time in this empowerment cancellation exercise, usually no longer than 45 minutes of Earth time. It depends on the event or circumstance of empowering cancellation, whatever is required for the balance. There are different groups of the women of the ethers. They work from the Athena hoop of 33, 24, 18, 12, 9, and hold the last secret code of activation. They are based on the 12 time zones and will spin the creation or destruction from these time zones. Because of the evolutionary period that Earth is going through now, several distinct branches have split off to match the original 96 codings that were given to the 96 goddesses by Athena before she left. All branches to this goddess tree of evolution have designated themes of polarity balance. This is a blueprint that is repeated time and time again when bringing a new root race to a planet, whether it be Earth or some other destination planet. Earth is the polarity planet, as other planets may not be polarity-based. As to some of the Athena 96 starseed walk-in experiments, take, for instance, the entertainment field. There are those women of the ethers who will walk in for short periods of time with an actor, singer, artist, and so on, in order to keep the Athena hoop going through voice, color, or simply presence of power. There are some stories that need to be told with the assistance of those that are no longer on the planet, but do reside with the women of the ethers. This is when the shared consciousness experiments are permitted to play on the planet. Sometimes they'll walk in for short or long periods of time. There are those out-of-body souls that do choose to enter through the drop-by system, meaning they're only here for a few minutes at a time. Rainbows seem to be part of a handle for their expression. Sometimes they have entrances and exits based on their perimeter of power as they exude their harmonics through colors of the rainbow. These are masterfully presented from the music of the spheres.
this is an experiment that is based on harmonics not visible to many on the planet. Music of the Spheres is a coded presentation of colors, math, four seasons, and cosmic colors not experienced by third-dimensional beings. Without the music of the spheres, then the building blocks of creation could not happen. Rainbows have had special meaning throughout the history of the planet. Many tribes have attributed their ceremonies to encompass the spinning of the rainbow into their manifestations of creation. Rainbows are universal and favor all and no one. They are just codes of remembrance through bloodline activations of the gods and goddesses of the realms. At different times in history, rainbows became a way of expression from sky to earth on many occasions, a signal sometimes for others to be activated into their knowing. When a major shift is to take place on the planet, then rainbows start appearing at random, sometimes without rain or clouds. They can appear in round circles, straight lines, curves and angles of space, or they can use elementals to join in with some of the rainbow action. The code behind the rainbow is, the codes are in the water and vapors of Manitaka. Ho! Quartz crystals are an amplification of harmonics of codes when infused with rainbows creates for short periods of time a glimpse of other timelines, portals, vortices, and ley lines. The crystal grid has now been harmonically set for the truth of history to be revealed. Rings of time are being released through the crystal grid to only those that have the rites of passage with the bloodlines and soul maturity records which are astrologically timed. Rainbows will appear through many factions when a starseed is ready to be infused with the truth of the crystal grid. I want to thank Lavendar for the honor of presenting her material and on behalf of starseeds everywhere, thank you for being our North Star. Well, that concludes our presentation for tonight, and we will be back uh, two weeks from tonight. And until then, remember, keep compassion in your heart instead of judgment, and always be grateful for every day. Until next time, good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.